everyone, and welcome to This Mom Loves. I'm Kate Wynn. I'm a wife, a mom of two girls. Olivia's 13 and Eva is almost 11. I'm also a teacher, currently teaching kindergarten. I blog at thismomloves.ca. I'm a freelance writer, and I sometimes go on TV to talk about education as well. Plus, of course, I have a podcast, and you are listening to episode 26. Today on the show and my favorite things, I'm going to be talking about massage therapy. In the lifestyle segment, I am going to be talking about a parenting strategy that I saw on Facebook. And then my very special guest today is Karen Irwin. She's a mom and a child life specialist. She has a business called Rue Parenting, where she works with parents, helping them with uh, with strategies and things like that, raising their kids. And she's got uh, a lot of information on siblings to share with us today. It's not something I've delved into too much yet on the show. And um, she's definitely got a lot of expertise in that area. So it's a sibling special, all sorts of questions with a parenting expert about siblings later on. So for my favorite things this week, at first I had a book picked out that I know I will be sharing probably next week, but I haven't quite finished it yet. So this morning I was actually on the massage table and I was thinking, well, if I'm not finished the book and I want to record this today, what could my favorite thing be? And then I thought, hello, how about massage therapy? So the first thing I want to talk about is, while obviously people know the the key benefits, I mean, the the muscle issues, sports injuries, that sort of thing, of course. Um, It's also good for things like anxiety, digestive disorders, insomnia, all sorts of things that um, that are benefits from massage therapy. One summer, several years ago, I was having terrible headaches. And I went to the eye doctor, I went to my regular doctor, tried to figure things out. And then finally someone suggested, why don't you try massage? And when the massage therapist got to a certain point on my neck, kind of between my neck and shoulder and pushed it, it was almost like I call it a headache button. As soon as she pushed it, I was like, oh, there it is. There's the headache right there. So there was some sort of connection to the muscles and the headache that I was getting. And after the massage, it was way better. And sometimes when that starts up again, when I get my next massage, it feels better. So it's amazing um, the connection that there can be between things like that. And I think it's important too that women and moms especially don't just see massage therapy as some sort of luxury pampering type of thing, because if so, I know there are a lot of moms out there who will never do it and they'll think, oh no, that's not me and I can't take care of myself and that sort of thing because they see it as some sort of frivolous endeavor. Um, not me, I'm, I'm fine with doing it. But if you see it that way, maybe reframe it in your mind and think about those health benefits. Think about how much more physical you're going to be able to be. Maybe you'll be sleeping better. You'll be less anxious with your kids. Maybe you'll be eating better, digesting better, all of those different benefits and how that might help you as a parent as well. I kind of think of it as a maintenance thing, maintenance for my body. Every time I'm on the massage table, I always think to myself, why don't I make my appointments more frequent? I'm very lucky because my massage therapist, while she does work at a clinic a few days a week, she also has a mobile business. So she actually comes to our home um, to do my massages, which is incredible. Uh, Very handy for sure, which I appreciate. And I also like having the same massage therapist. I've had her for several years now because I feel like she knows my body. So, I mean, first of all, we don't have to go through the, how much pressure do you like? And are there any areas that are bothering you and that sort of thing? Because she already knows. So I just tell her if there's anything new. But I think it's great that there's somebody checking me out because she would notice if there was a new mole somewhere or if she felt something that you know there was a little lump that never used to be a lump and obviously she's not massaging my breasts so I mean I still have to examine those myself but you know even that underarm area that sort of thing all the places that she massages I kind of feel good knowing that she would notice if there was something different or a change which is you know an extra little bonus too when you keep the same massage therapist for a long time 
Now, I know it's easier for me to recommend massage therapy when I'm covered under my extended health benefits, and so is my husband. We both have family coverage that we pay for, which basically gives us double. So for me, I am not paying for it. I do give a tip every time, especially because she's coming to my house. Um, and the tip is not covered by by the plan. You just submit the amount that she has charged. But if you have coverage, I think you are crazy not to use it. If you don't have coverage, then obviously this isn't something you're, you're probably going to want to do as frequently. But if something's coming up, you know, whether it's Mother's Day, you have a birthday, maybe even for next Christmas, and people are looking for gift ideas, whether it's your, your husband or your kids or whoever the case may be, maybe think of something like that because I know we're trying to get more... Um, about experiences rather than gifts and stuff and uh, massage therapy is certainly a, a great experience to have there are tons of benefits too even for kids and massage i know when my girls were little um, infant massage was kind of just becoming a thing I, I didn't really get into that myself but i know for babies especially the digestive part when babies are having trouble with any any area of digestion you can do a lot of things to help with that and just do it yourself you don't have to go to a massage therapist once you actually learned how to do it yourself but with kids as well and whether kids may have you know sports injuries or something like that but even if it is just for those things like relaxation and anxiety our girls haven't had massages yet but it's definitely something i'm thinking about a because the coverage is there but b because I think there might be some benefits for them too. So even though it sounds kind of luxurious and frivolous, as I said, I don't think you can really uh, put a price on those sorts of health benefits. So my favorite thing that I am recommending to you today is massage therapy. If you are looking for me on social media, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at This Mom Loves, and I am on Instagram at Kate This Mom Loves. Please, uh, please take a peek at those accounts. Send me a shout out. I love to hear from people who say, "Oh, I was just listening to episode such and such. Love the part about this." Or, or if you have a question that you want to ask about the podcast, anything. Um, I really love hearing from people. I'm quick to reply and engage. So please do reach out. And as I mentioned before, you can also find me on my site thismomloves.ca. It's a blog. It's been going for nine years. There's all sorts of content on travel and shopping and entertainment and parenting and education that you can check out. I have a page for my TV segments that I do. I also have a page for links to my print articles. So tons of valuable information there if you're looking for some reading material. In the lifestyle segment today, I just want to talk about a post I saw on Facebook and it's all about um, well, I'll just read you the start of it. There are nine minutes during the day that have the greatest impact on a child. And I thought it was interesting when I first saw this because a few episodes ago, one of the things I was suggesting was called the first five minutes. And I was talking about how those five minutes after you get home from work and meet your kids or bring them home from daycare or however that works, but the first five minutes that you're all together at home can be so important because if you're anything like me, there's so much you want to get done when you get in the door, but that's when they really need your focus to hear about their day to ask you whatever burning question has been on their minds and that it's really an investment for you to give them those five minutes but I thought this was another interesting way to look at it so I wish I could credit it to someone but it was someone who just had taken a picture of a handout looks like maybe it was a newsletter from school or daycare or something but it was just the back sheet I can see a staple written out so I can't really credit where it came from but here's what it says there are nine minutes during the day that have the greatest impact on a child the first three minutes right after they wake up, the three minutes after they come home from school, the last three minutes of the day before they go to bed. Make those minutes feel special and help our children feel special, loved, and accepted. 
Each day, children need meaningful eye-to-eye conversations with a parent. It is especially important to slow down and look them in the eye. Listen and respond with love. Hug your child, straighten her hair, pat him on the back, and tell them how proud you are of him every day. A simple touch makes them feel connected to a parent in ways that words never will. Remember, actions speak louder than words. And I love this. And you know what I think I love the most about it is that it's doable because for so many parents who feel like I don't have time and, you know, I'm working all day or, you know, the kids are gone to school and, you know, in terms of having quantity, the quantity is not always there, but to think, okay, I can take three minutes first thing in the morning and I can take three minutes after school and three minutes before they go to bed. Like that is not... um, a ridiculous expectation. Now, the funny thing is I actually shared this with my kids because they're 11 and 13, and so I I can talk to them about this sort of thing. But then the night that we talked about it, Olivia was out in the kitchen right before bed, and I just kind of passed her, and oh, I love you, and kind of gave her a big hug and held her for a minute. And then after we kind of broke away, she's like, well, there's one minute of your three minutes because she she knows me so well. I was trying to meet my quota. Actually, honestly, I don't think I was even thinking about the number of minutes at the time, but my kids are very quick to call me out on things, which, you know, maybe is good. But again, I just think that's a great idea to think about those nine minutes during the day, the three after they wake up. Now, for me, my girls get up on their own and I'm showering while they're getting ready in the morning. But I mean, I don't think it has to be literally when they wake up, if you've got bigger kids like mine. But those first three minutes of contact together in the morning, the three minutes where you're together again at the end of the day, and then the three minutes before they go to bed, try to make those nine minutes special. And if that's all you can do, then you're doing great. I'm very excited to introduce my guest this week, Karen Irwin. She's the mom of two young children. She's a certified child life specialist with a background in child development and learning through play. And she is also the founder of Rue Parenting. Welcome, Karen. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be chatting with you today. So first of all, tell me about Rue Parenting. What is it that you do? Yeah, so um, I'm the founder of Rue Parenting, and Rue Parenting is a consulting service that provides support to parents as they navigate the unknowns and challenges of raising their kids. And uh, really, it was inspired by my work at Sick Kids and helping parents parent their child through illness, and then also. As you mentioned, I am a mom. I'm actually a mom to three three young kids now, and um, I (laughs) needs to be updated. (laughs) Yeah, and um, anyways, it was inspired by sort of those two things, and me realizing that the work I was doing at Sick Kids would be beneficial to the mainstream parent, and so I help families with children between the ages of zero and twelve. Excellent. So when I found out that you know a lot about siblings and uh, and advising parents in that route, I thought it might be kind of fun to have a sibling special here and ask all of the parenting questions I've always wanted to to ask (laughs) when it comes to those um, sibling relationships. So right from the beginning, for any parents who are still planning their families, do you think that there's an ideal gap to have between kids? No, um, actually, I don't. I think um, there are pros and cons to it all. And I, I, I think that, um, you, you know, being just aware that some things are going to work out really great, depending on the, the age difference between your kids and some there might be some struggle and challenge um, that it's you can work through it. And, and it's it's great. And I don't really think that there's 
you know, any sort of specific planning that, that needs to be done. Like for me, for example, my first two are, are two years apart and, you know, there's tons of pros around that. They're, they're actually really good buddies and they can entertain each other and, um, they have similar abilities so they can, you know, be cognitively and physically in the same space. And that's all really great, but Obviously, the challenge is sometimes um, they're too close and <laughs> that can create some conflict. Or, you know, maybe my son feels like his uh, sister, the, who's two years younger than him, is too much into his social uh, world. And that that maybe causes conflict sometimes. But then if I look at, you know, the five-year gap between my oldest and my my youngest, I, I you know, the pros are my oldest can be the leader and can be another set of hands and can can play and engage and, and, you know, just create such a really wonderful relationship with the youngest. But, you know, the youngest is often just sort of brought along for the ride. And sometimes I think maybe, uh, like their sleep and some of his needs might not be totally being met because he's, you know, being taken along with the older siblings. So, you know, I think just being flexible and aware you, you can make it work. And what do you think is the best way to get a child ready for the birth of a sibling? Any uh, do's and don'ts? Yeah. So uh, one of my top tips, especially if the um, older sibling is, you know, is toddler preschool or even early school age. So between, you know, two and five, I think it's really great to get books um, that represent, you know, talk about babies, talk about um, becoming a big sibling, talk about the di- the, the transition and the dynamics that are going to occur when a baby is brought into a new family because two reasons. One is I think it uh, really helps you have a natural conversation with your young child. Um, but also I think that the books help make something very sort of abstract, more relatable and, and, you know, can help them sort of grasp what's going to happen. So that was, that's my first tip to help prepare. And then, and then the other thing is I think there's actually a lot that you can do around that initial introduction. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, often the older sibling might be at home with a grandparent or a childcare provider while the parents are in the hospital with the new baby. And often whoever's looking after the older sibling will bring that child to the hospital room to meet uh, mom and, and dad and their new sibling. And I actually suggest for parents to have a parent either go home and pick up the older sibling and bring them, or if po- if they can't do that, meet them at the door and bring them up to the room to see the mother and, and the baby. Because I think that's a much um, easier way for them to see this family uh, when they come and the mom and dad and the baby are there and they're not there. They kind of see them not as part of the family and that can be, you know, uncomfortable for them. And, and so we want them to, you know, walk in with maybe dad and be introduced and it, it helps ease that change a lot better. Oh, interesting. That's a good tip. I had never thought of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so then once siblings are home and then maybe at any age, they may end up sharing bedrooms. So whether it's little ones or big kids, any advice you have for siblings sharing rooms? 
Yeah. So for younger siblings, uh, I think the best thing you can do is, is, um, sleep train or teach, uh, your kids how to self-soothe themselves to sleep because the advantage of that is, um, you can put one child down and they can independently put themselves to sleep while you wrap up a bedtime routine with the other child. And then you can put the other child down and they won't disturb the child who's sleeping. Um, because you know, if they need assistance, to fall asleep, that can be disruptive. And it can also be difficult to sort of juggle multiple um, bedtime routines that are occurring in the same room. And then, you know, if they're older kids, well, and even for younger kids, I think having elements in the room that each child can identify with and make their own. So whether that's like the bedding or, you know, each child has like a little reading nook with a basket with like their favorite books or just, you know, a place that um, they can identify with and and have their own space. I, I think that 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 helps. And then let's talk about siblings and fighting. Not that my daughters ever fight, but I'm just <laughs> wondering, how do you recommend that parents handle it? I mean, my girls are 11 and 13, but I know sibling squabbles can start at any age. And I mean, for me, my momentary goal is always just to end the battle and get them to stop. But then I mean, really long term, I want to cut back on the frequency, have fewer disagreements, but I don't know, do I ignore, do I get involved when they come to me and they're telling on each other? What What is the best way to handle it? Yeah. So the first thing I always want parents to think about is, you know, sibling squabbles, like they, they are annoying and, you know, they're not the most fun, but they're actually, there is some benefit to them in the sense that in your, in a safe, um, comfortable environment, your kids are learning how to, you know, express their opinions and negotiate and problem solve and work with others. And, you know, that, that's, those are all skills we want our kids to learn and we want them to, you know, practice and be confident in so that then when they're out in the schoolyard or, you know, on the, uh, you know, and at, with their hockey buddies, they, they can take those skills when conflict arises and use them and, and, you know, be successful. But I think that with parents, um, some things to consider when their sibling squabbles going on. The first thing I often tell parents I work with is I know it's very, it's, you know, in our nature to just like jump in and want to stop what's going on or want to solve the problem. And I suggest for parents to hold back. So sometimes to parents having uh, something specific that they do when sibling squabbles are going on to like take, help them take a step back, whether that's, you know, counting to 20 or singing a verse of their favorite song or you know, saying something over and over again in their head and multiple times, whatever it is, just, just hold back because sometimes kids will figure it out on their own, um, which is the end goal that we all want. Um, so th that's the first thing to do. But then if that's not the case and you do need to intervene, there's three things that I suggest for parents to consider. The first being that, you know, you want to hear both sides of the story um, you want to empathize with each kid. And, you know, it's, it's actually um, empowering and important to say back how you think your child's feeling so that A, they can feel heard, but B, the other sibling can see what how this is impacting their brother or sister. And then the third thing is to encourage your kids to come up with uh, the solution to solve the problem. Because 
if we're always, you know, jumping in and saying, telling them, you know, this is what we should do so that we stop fighting or, you know, taking the toy away and putting it on top of the fridge for later, we're imposing our ideas onto them, which, you know, has two, two problems. One is we're not teaching our kids the skills to problem solve, which ultimately we want them to have. And two, we're imposing something on them and that might make them frustrated because it's not their own idea. It's just mom or dad, you know, telling them one more thing in their day that they should do and how they should do it. So the other tip that I'll, you know, it's more valuable for younger siblings. Um, if they're fighting over a toy, I always also suggest that the parent takes the toy and holds it during this interaction so that, you know, that that's taken away and, you know, no one's sort of the focus isn't on one kid's holding it and the other kid's not, and it can kind of clear the air and, and let people, let the kids sort of think a little bit more clear and straightforward. Well, it's funny. That's all great advice. And some of those are things that I do. Like I teach kindergarten. So things that I yeah. naturally do when I'm yeah. helping the kindergarten kids learn to problem solve, but it's so much harder, I think with your own kids, like my blood yeah. pressure goes up with my kids in ways that it yeah. never does when I'm professional at work, but I'll try to do it at home too, Karen. I will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you believe in birth order theory? So the whole idea that firstborns have certain tendencies and middle children and, and the babies in the family. I mean, I know between my brother and me, I do see some of those stereotypical differences. And then even between my two daughters, you know, sort of the older child, younger child things. But I'm wondering, do you think there's any evidence to support it? Or what are your thoughts about all that? Yeah, so um, I, you know, I, I get um, the birth order theory. And, you know, even in my personal situation as a younger sister, or also with my my own children, I, I, I definitely see um, how birth order plays out and I see how it can be a thing. Um, but I don't think it's the be all end all. I think, you know, and I, I think as, if we, as parents, you know, look at our kids as individuals, um, and not as sort of competing against each other, um, we can mm -hmm. kind of debunk that birth order theory and, um, we can, you know, meet our kids needs, um, highlight their skills, help them with their strengths and, you know, make them and help them become their own people. I think when we're like stuck in that thought of birth order theory, um, then, you know, of course, because we're creating this environment where our kids are competing for our attention and that, you know, makes sense then why the second board born would maybe challenge authority because that's an effective way to get attention, whether it's positive or not. And they're maybe trying to get attention or um, our oldest is a pleaser because, you know, they get positive attention by doing that. But if we kind of look at our kids as each their own person and meet each of their individual needs and also recognize that their needs are going to ebb and flow and it's okay if we have to you know, focus on one child's needs a lot at one time, it, the other child's going to have a turn later down the road. I think that that, that helps, helps, um, you know, uh, let them be their own and not sort of fall into that birth order theory. And I think probably it's important too not to be talking about it in front of them or talking about them in front of them in sort of those terms like, oh, well, she's the firstborn, so she's always like this. Because For I think sure. kids do kind of internalize what we tell them about themselves. Exactly. Yeah. So avoid labeling because they're going to fulfill what we're what we're labeling them to be. And also I think too, focusing on soft skills. So like 
highlighting your kids' soft skills. You know, you're a really great listener or you are super patient. Um, you seem to be able to wait, no problem. Because I think that it's easy for our kids to see the hard skills um, and, and compare and, you know, contrast to those, but it's harder for them to see their soft skills. And those are really things that can be individual about them. And so by highlighting them and talking about them and celebrating each kid's soft skills, um, that, that also can help make them more their own person and not sort of falling into this birth order theory. And you've mentioned already a few times kind of treating our kids like individuals. And I know twins are a special type of sibling. And are there any ways that you suggest for parents of twins to help them develop their own identities? Yeah. So, um, finding opportunities to really connect with each twin on their own so you can, you know, figure out what they like and what makes them excited and, and, you know, get them involved in that so they can create an identity and establish a role outside of their, their home and, and the role of being a twin. I think that that's, that's beneficial and can help. Um, I also think, you know, um, recognizing that, um, they, they do have differences and, and also playing into those soft skills because, you know, the hard skills are going to be very visible to them. They'll see that they look exactly maybe like their, their twin sibling, but they might not know or recognize that, you know, they're, they have a really great sense of humor. Um, and, and so highlighting those soft skills and really playing them up, I think can help make your, your twins have a individual identity. And what are some of your tips for parents in terms of strengthening their one-on-one -on -one bonds with, with each individual child? Yeah. So I get this question a lot. And, and, you know, I think also because I recognize as parents, we're all very busy. We've got lots going on and, and it's, and, you know, as we have more kids, it's hard to, excuse me, create opportunities for those one-on-one -on -one times. And I'll always remind parents that, actually developing very simple, consistent rituals with your individual children helps, you know, build that one-on-one -on -one time into each day. And so one thing that I often recommend is develop rituals with your kids that can happen naturally in the day-to-day -day routine. So some examples of that um, you know, for example, my oldest child loves animal facts and he can, he's starting to read now. So when I drive him around to hockey or play dates or whatever, um, there's a book, an animal fact book next to a seat that he'll read to me and he'll just read cool animal facts. And that's kind of like our thing. And then I'll talk about them with them. And I never knew that, you know, so such an animal was this long or ate that or whatever. And it, it's like our own little thing that we have that, you know, is quite simple for me to do. And he also can rely upon it. You know, when we're driving around the two of us, he knows like that's something he can go to and we can do together or, for, you know, my daughter, she loves to draw and, you know, I can't sit down and draw with her every day, but when there is a lull, if I, I always say the same phrase to her, well, I'll say like, okay, art teacher, are you ready to teach me a new drawing skill? And that's like our thing where she knows, like, she gets to sit down and like teach me the flavor of the day, like rainbows or whatever she's into. And, and that's like our thing that we do. So trying to 
um, you know, maybe you make smoothies as a family, uh, your child really likes smoothies. So he, and you're having them every morning at breakfast. So, you know, together you guys make the smoothie. So it can be very simple. Um, but by creating those, it's actually, in my opinion, it's more beneficial doing them consistently and on a regular basis than, you know, having those, you know, mummy and me dates or, you know, spending the afternoon doing something with one child because it doesn't have the same impact as the consistency of doing something special, you know, on a regular basis. Well, that's what I was just going to say. I like how you were naming off all of those sort of easy, um, quick kind of things, as opposed to the big, huge day-long adventures. Yeah. It's easier to do. And I know even with my girls, it can be something really random. Like on the weekend, Eva had to go to a birthday party. So Olivia went with me to drop her off and then run some errands and pick her back up again. And just the exactly. one-on-one time exactly. of running those errands and being in the car. And she even said to me, she's like, it's nice to have time like this together. So it can be really simple and cheap and quick, but it's still just nice to do the one-on-one. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, kids live in the moment. So you might put all that effort into that big Saturday date, but, you know, on Thursday, they've forgotten that. And um, so also by doing spreading it out over, you know, having it consistently happen throughout the week, it actually has more benefit because kids remember it and, you know, kind of fills up their need and their attention. So then they can be more cooperative and happy and, 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 you know, helpful when we need them to be in their, in their days. And then in terms of whole family bonding, do you have any ideas for activities and rituals that, that whole families can do to kind of create that team atmosphere and and strengthen the bond? (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we've probably all read or heard, you know, like family game night or family movie night. Those obviously, um, are great. I think you can extend them even further by, doing two things. One, you know, building them into the calendar. So they're things that kids and families are looking forward to. So they know it's coming and they're pumped about it, but then also allowing sort of giving each, um, child or family member a role, like picking the one kid picks the game, one kid picks the snack so that, so everyone's kind of invested in it. Um, also, you know, again, you probably have getting, getting the hint that I like trying to do things on a regular basis. And so if you can build rituals into the day, you know, we all know and have heard like the importance of sitting down and having a family meal together. If you can do that, awesome. But if that's challenging, I also, you know, challenge parents to like think outside of the box and maybe like, for example, my family will do like a family freeze dance. You know, my kids are between the ages of eight and two. So it does work, but a family freeze dance every night before we get into the, our pajamas. Um, it's like a 56 second song on YouTube that, you know, everyone has fun and, you know, everyone can do it and it's something they look forward to. And it's like a thing we do as a family. Um, I also think though, in addition to rituals and activities, I think the language that you can use, that you use with your children can help create sort of a team or a unity among the family. So especially when kids are younger, you know, if you use the terms like, okay, we're going to go for my last name's Irwin, we're going to go for an Irwin family walk. Just using that sort of language lets them know like, we're a group and we're going to go do this together. Or you guys are going to have like a brother's bath. You know, you are together and this is just for you. And sort of using that language where we're positioning our kids and our family as a group doing things together, that that also can can help. 
And I know that you are a parenting expert, but even (laughs) experts have areas where they want to improve. So I'm curious to know as a parent yourself, what would you say are your biggest strengths and where do you strive to get better? Yeah. So I I think my strength is my ability to connect with my kids, um, whether that's like actually physically connecting with them in the sense where I'm telling them something and I need them to look me in the eye and understand what I'm communicating, whether it's, you know, a plan for the day or a change in behavior or something that's they've done that's awesome. So being able to get down on their level and connect with them is a strength of mine, but also being able to connect with them by tapping and figuring out their interests and, you know, tapping into that and talking to them about it and, you know, making them feel special and an expert in that area. I think that comes from my experience at Sick Kids where I had to build rapport with children pretty quickly. So I could quickly realize, you know, what got them excited and, and, you know, could make conversation and talk to them about that. So that's something I definitely know I'm great at doing with my own kids. I'd say an area, actually, it's funny when I, I got this question, I think that same day, my son, my oldest son pointed out that this is where I need to improve. So it was good timing. But one of the things that I think I actually am not great at that I'm consciously trying to change is, you know, being able to empathize with my kids when something goes wrong. So I I realize I'm very quick, you know, when someone falls or when, you know, someone makes a mistake on their art or someone spills something or whatever, I'm really quick to be like, it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry. It's okay. And I've noticed like my oldest son will say to me, you know, it's actually not okay. And, and so I don't take the time to say like, yeah, actually that's, that must hurt. Like, let's get some ice and solve it. I'm usually like, it's okay. It's okay. Let's get the ice and solve it. Um, so I think sort of slowing down and, and realizing that I need to be, you know, empathize with how whatever's happens made them feel, um, is important and, and, you know, will also help, help them in the long run as well. So that's something that I'm trying to, trying to focus on. That's a good goal. Yeah. So last question now, I always ask my guests if they have a, this mom loves or a favorite thing to share with listeners, something that you think that they might appreciate. Yeah. So, um, my favorite thing, um, well, can I have two? Is that okay? You sure um, can, I, yeah. <laughs> so my, I would say my favorite app, and I know it's not a new one, but I really rely on it and I use it all the time. And I feel like it calms me <laughs> is ways. Um, so that's by far, I, you know, I, I'm often late. And so I like how ways tells me where to go, but also tells me what time I'm going to get there because I think that takes a lot of stress off. Cause I'm like, okay, I'm just going to be five minutes late. That's okay. And I can inform all the people who need to know. Um, and then my favorite game actually that I play with my kids, um, pretty much every day, um, at a meal time is called bud rose thorn. Um, and I also suggest it to a lot of families. Um, it's a great way to create connection and sort of tap into what's going on with your kids. And basically it's a game we play at dinner where we go around the circle and, um, each of us share our bud, which is something we learned today. 
our um, rows, which is something that we're happy about or great or that we're excited about because of the day and Thorn, something that we didn't like about the day. And I think it's great because, you know, all the ages can kind of participate in it. The two-year-old, you know, he's getting, he doesn't, he likes to listen. Um, but also <laughs> yeah. I can share my side. And uh, I think that's great for my kids to hear, you know, I'm still learning things and you know, I have things that aren't great about my day and I have things that I am excited and celebrate. So it's a really good way for us to connect. And, and that's one of my favorite things to do with uh, my family. Well, you know what? I've heard of Rose and Thorn and around here, sometimes we do our high and low, but I've never heard of the bud addition to mm -hmm. that. The what I've learned. That's a neat idea. Yeah. I think that came from my people ask me, and I think it came from my days of going to summer camp. I, I that's yeah. So I guess we were learning stuff at camp. So they wanted to know what that was. <laughs> so yeah, I guess well, we might have to add that one in. All right. Well, I will have a link to Rue Parenting and Karen Irwin's social media accounts in the show notes for this episode at thismomloves.ca slash podcast. And this is episode twenty six. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Karen. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kate. It's been great to chat with you today. And that brings us to the end of this episode of This Mom Loves. As always, if you enjoy the show, I would love if you could rate it and review it wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could share it with a friend, let somebody else know. It's so appreciated when people spread the word. As I mentioned earlier too, even to tweet me, message me on Facebook, give some sort of shout out. Just let me know that you've been listening. Maybe share a favorite episode or a guest or even just something that you learned from one of the shows. I really appreciate when people do that because uh, the, the more ways that we spread the word, the more people can hear about this mom loves. So that's wonderful. As always, I'd like to thank my podcast editor, Lucas Wojcicki, for putting all the things together pieces together and making them sound good and I would like to thank you all for being here you are definitely not want, going to want to miss my guest next week so I hope you will be back for episode 27 and until then have a great week everyone